Warning, explicit nerd-centric material. No, not like that. Cursing. Goddamn degenerates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, the next episode of Stay A While and Listen. Uh, Joining me as usual, we have Candace and Matt. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about running your first game. just some general advice, a little bit of here and there. Say hi, everybody. Oh, hello. Yeah. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Sorry. I'm half dead already. Everyone else here knows it. I'm just making it known. I know. She <laughs> took three bullets and still came here. It's amazing. Meth is amazing, Doug. God. Ma- God. Meth is amazing, Doug. Okay, well, we're going to get into running a game. <laughs> That was going on around that side of the table. (laughs) Just because you named your dealer now, I guess. (laughs) Cocaine is a better upper. Meth is amazing, Doug. Shut up, Doug. Don't tell him. (laughs) See, now I have it stuck in my head that Quail Man is actually just a cocaine and meth dealer. That's yeah. why he has his underpants on his outside and his belt on his head. Because Matt. Yep. Matt. It all makes sense now. Headline reads uh, Florida man <laughs> caught with belt on head. Would be. Never been known as Florida man. It's the best superhero that ever lived. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, um. Mm-hmm. Starting things off, we're not looking for the world's greatest writer when you're starting to sit down and run a story. No, and you, especially if it's your first. You're not going to have to write who does what and how and who and where. And it's more world building and less scripting. It's more narrating of in the distance. You see this octagonal-shaped building with open walls. You seem to remember that this is called a gazebo. Would they have amnesia? <laughs> Did Are you drop them into the world on their heads? Are we <laughs> attempting to reference the gazebo story? I attack the gazebo. <laughs> Nothing happens. I attack the gazebo again. Nothing happens. This gazebo's invincible. <laughs> <laughs> You have a splinter now. Good job. Well, and the thing about it is, is that whenever you're running it as a GM the first time, you've got to realize that you're writing a story, but you've got to be descriptive enough with the environment. It's like setting a sandbox and just letting them improv. Half of these games, people are going to be improving, so give them a sandbox to run in. Yeah. And you're writing the frame of a story. Yeah. You're le- You're connecting the tissue and kind of the base skeletal structure, they're the ones who's going to fill in the gaps of how they did and why they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the best bits of advice I was ever given is don't worry about how they get past the obstacle. They're never going, you're never going to uh, make the perfect way that they're going to get past the obstacle, and they're never going to do the exact method you planned for them. Nope. You just put the obstacle in front of them, and then arbitrate the rules because they will get over it their own damn way, no matter how much you prod them towards a specific answer. Well, and a lot of yeah. new, a lot of new GMs 
come to the game and come to wanting to run a game because they have a story in their head. They have this epic story. And the problem is, is that they're going to be easily disappointed when the story doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to. When it starts going and starts running, people are like, oh, well, I, I always pictured blah, blah, blah in my head when I wrote this story. Yeah, maybe don't do that. Maybe you should if just you let have, it develop. If you have a full-fledged story in your head of you know where the character is going to go and what they're going to do, write a book. Don't write a run book, a game. write a webcomic, publish yeah. that shit that way. Because the game isn't... You know, said it before, say it again. The game is our hobby. It's an interactive hobby. You can't do it by yourself. Yep. Uh, Bullshit. <laughs> There's many things in this world you can do by yourself. That's not one of them. Uh, it's also not me. the funnest one, but, you know. <laughs> it's, but uh, seriously, the game ha re requires multiple people. Yeah, it is. So, if you're doing it all, even if that means you're the player hogging all the spotlight, if you're doing it all, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why they have different classes, is because if you have a class that can do anything, then nobody's going to fund some of the spotlight. But you don't want the person that can check for traps being the person that can heal. You don't want the good fighter to be also the good archer. You, you know? could have just told me I wasn't allowed to play a Gestalt custom class. Yeah, you, you know what? You didn't have to call me out on <laughs> I thought table rules meant that you were going to just put the rules on the table and then build a character. I didn't know that, that was it. You, you're the one that decided to min-max everything. I don't care that he has three arms. It was good for the story, but, you know, that's a lot of attacks in a turn. I'm starting to rethink this whole thing. I, I'm also starting to rethink how that anatomy actually works. Where is that third arm? He gets a sneak attack, I can tell you that. <laughs> no. It always it always has advantage because it it's surprises super them. Effective. It always it always rolls advantage. Why? It just punches them when they don't see it coming, just right through the fly. <laughs> Have you seen that uh, comic where the dwarf pulls up his beard and he's got another fist from underneath? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no, no, seriously. Like even if you're trying to write a an epic story, or at least an epic villain, or something, and you're like, uh, I need filler. Let's face it, just like a sitcom, every uh, game is gonna have a filler episode. You're gonna have yeah. that episode where you're like, well, now what? And, you know, if you can't think of what to fill in between, you know, the dragon and the beholder encounter, steal. Yeah. Find something that you're like, oh man, this is amazing. And they go, but wait, I can't do it exactly like this, so alter it a little bit. And even if you just do like a weird vague reference to something in pop culture that you all of your friends like, they're not going to look at you and go, oh, why'd you have to go put that guy in the game? That's so obvious. Why do we want to go on, on, a, on an adventure with Chuck Norris? Hmm. It's like, no, no, no. This isn't Chuck Norris. It's Nux This Chores. is Nux Chores, exactly. The, well, the key part of stealing, Making it in your my own. opinion, is you got to remember to file off the serial numbers. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got to change it up just <laughs> enough. They keep record. Well, <laughs> and, and the other thing about it is, is that if you know anything about storytelling and you know anything about how it works, because this is inherently partially storytelling. 
is that there are pretty good known cycles that characters take. Pretty well-known paths that are fairly... So, if you end up stealing something you read from a book and changing it and altering it, it's not going to be that in, that distinguishable because that book probably runs by the same arc that other things are. Like, um, you know, the hero's journey, things like that. Aren't there only, like, classically 13 stories or something like that? Yeah. There's not all... They're, they're very basic, but everything branches out from them. So if you alter it, people are going to be like, that's like, yeah, well, that's also like, here's a list of everything else that's that's like, too. Get well, over it. Well, because even like, okay, if you're a fan of Call of Cthulhu, there is the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. It's well, you can, really you fun. You two can play Cthulhu and make your friends go mad. You know, and it's like, yes, it is basically, it is based off of the Call of Cthulhu game, uh, short story written by H.P. Lovecraft. A crazy racist that lived in his home for 20 years and lived off his wife and then died yes. a sad death in his 30. Yes, yes, we all know <laughs> that Lovecraft was racist. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care, I still like his writing. We're talking about the mythos-based RPG. Exactly. Usually not written by racists. <laughs> Usually not. But, you know, so let's face it. That entire universe is stolen. So, What's the difference between doing that and if you're like, I really like this system, but I'm not a fan of, you know, say, d and I, I like the D&D uh, mechanics, but I don't want to run water deep. Well, what if you just made yourself a world based on the book series Dune? Yeah. There you go. The exact same thing as what Call of Cthulhu is. The only thing is you're using a D20 system and you're just world building. You're world building with inspiration of someone else's idea. So wait, if you got inspiration, does that mean you get to roll two D20s to take the highest? Yes. It never worked for me. Everything I write looks like it got the lowest on one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sorry that you're constantly rolling with disadvantage. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, illiteracy has its problems. (laughs) Dyslexia will do that to you. It might just be I'm reading the numbers wrong. It's a six. It's a nine. Why didn't they put in the damn dot? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have to pick up the dice and spin down it now. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing about it is, is that when you're dealing with worlds, even even like the nuances of it, like you're going to have an archer character, you're going to have the character with a tragic backstory, you're going to have you take these from all kinds of stuff. There's not you don't even just have to rip off a whole world. You can, or or like, uh, you know, you can make a D and D game. That has Star Wars in it, and none of the names be the same. Well, yeah. But there's a princess that got kidnapped that had the plans for a secret ancient weapon that a dark cabal is leading, I, and I'm you sorry, find yourself Brian. as a secret win, uh, wi- wizard. The princess is in another castle. That's unfortunate. Damn you! <laughs> princess is in another castle. Well, this is the fourth castle, and you're a toad, and I'm really not picky, so. <laughs> 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 I'm going to I'm going to just make some sacrifices here and go home afterwards. That's my plan. And you can that, only jump on so many mushrooms in the day. And, and that's why <laughs> Super Mario Brothers Three has the curtains. Yeah, the turns out you do get a reward after every castle. You just don't get to see it. <laughs> that kind of incentivizes them to get to the next one. <laughs> but no, but I mean, you, you can actually just take whatever. 
and, and this is handy for new GMs. New yeah. GMs also often suffer under the feeling of having to do everything themselves. And here's the thing. You're not going to know how to run a great game because this is your first one. You don't know how players are going to react. You don't know your group real well. If, I mean, you may know your group as friends. Usually that's the best way to do it. But yeah. that doesn't mean you know how they're going to act in D&D. You can be friends with a person for a long time and they can be completely different in the game and act. And you're and like, you're people. an amazing person. Now you're a murder hobo. Well, that's usually what happens. Oh. You're a highly intelligent, reserved individual who thinks everything through. Why the hell did you turn into the college frat boy that wants to put his dick in everything? I'm sorry, I had to play a bard, Brian. I, I mean, <laughs> dicks stick in so many things, and you never know what it will until you try. No, but... I mean, he did say that he was going to play the flute. Yeah, he just didn't say if it was a normal flute or a skin flute. Joke's on you, these are amazing spells for me. At least I always know what I'm done with a piece. Um... <laughs> Hey, you have a warning in front. We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> if, if, you, if you hit the stop recording, I'll stop. That's how that works. <sighs> but no, but I mean, um, you know, when you when you have a new group and you do that, I mean, it's, it's a tricky situation. And new gyms either tend to do, one, they don't, they try to burden themselves with the entirety of the, the world, the story, make it all from scratch. And what that leads to is a story that they have very well thought out, and they have all the points in it, and they're going to railroad the heck out of all of their players. Or, what do you mean you don't know that X thing was designed to kill Y thing? Because I thought I told you this mm -hmm. at least 20 times in the 400-page world-building diary that he oh. hands to the, to the players and assumes yes. they read. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is that you can't, you have to let players discover things as they go. You can't you can't force people to already be familiar with everything. Because let's be honest, how many of you were completely familiar with the lore and the way the world worked when you first picked up D and D? No, most. I, I knew that I rolled a D twenty. Yeah, most people knew that the pointy end <laughs> goes in the other man. As uh, what was it, Kronk said? No, oh. Oh, I can't remember that. Clue. That was Antonio Banderas yeah. in the, the first Zorro movie. You know made. how they use this? Yes. The point in goes in the other mind. <laughs> yeah, but that that's pretty much the, the level of know how you're gonna have with new players. And so walk it into the to the world, you don't need them to be responsible for knowing everything you planned out and everything you made. You need to let them experience it grow because that's the fun. Yeah, the closest thing to someone who has never played a tabletop RPG is if you've had someone who say has played an RPG online, be it an MMORPG or just like your just regular like um uh, name of the video game Final Fantasy kind of RPG. They know that your adventures, that there's a team of you, that you're gonna go out and do heroic stuff, but they may not know that there's not going to be a guy standing in the corner of the tavern with an exclamation point above his head. Yeah, or, I mean, and that, that's an, a good example of railroading. People are used to this idea. If they haven't played the tabletop RPG, they've played Electronic RPG, they've played, you know, yeah. Final Fantasy or something. And yeah, you know, where there where there's one resolution. The story. Yeah, where there's one resolution for every problem. And you can't go wander off the map to do your own thing because your own thing doesn't exist out there. What exists is this quest to this quest to get the key to get the door and uh, 
You can't build that. Up until very recently, if not still ongoing, because it's kind of in limbo right now, uh, I've been running a Shadowrun game. And Shadowrun, 90% of the time, is basically a heist story. I have a gun. What can we do today? As a GM, it is my job to say, hey, I need you to go and get secret MacGuffin of whatever. But I thought it was widgets. From where? From this site. Then I set the site down in front of you, let you do a little bit of recon first so I can give you a rough idea. And then I sit back and I watch as you plot for an hour. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Of any game, I have to say, Shadowrun is one of the most interesting to people watch, even as a player, because you're like, so that's how that motherfucker thinks. But, oh. uh, it's not my job to figure, just tell you how to get past the security system, and how to get past the guard, and how to get past the dogs, and how to get past the thing. It's my job to set the things there. And then sit back and watch as you knock down all the dominoes. I could write the perfect D&D dungeon. You have to go ten feet in and avoid pressing the pressure plate. And Tomb of Horrors already exists. Yeah. Well, and that brings up something. That brings up an interesting thing. Because a lot of people fall upon doing modules. A lot of people, like you said, Tomb of Horrors. And they get the idea from, like, RPG days and... Well, there's nothing wrong with running yeah. a module, especially for a one-off, or... If, well, well, yeah, in a yeah. one-off. Oh, you, you, had a, you had a busy week, and you got your D&D game coming up this week, and your daughter was sick, your wife was and sick. you had no time to plan. You had to work overtime. There's nothing wrong with pulling the module out, scraping off a little serial numbers, slam it down the middle of your campaign, and say, this will work. Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I can see it as a one-off, but, you know, when you're first starting an RPG... Uh, I've known a couple of DMs that would only run modules. And at some point, there's modules are okay, but they cannot prepare you for everything your characters will do because the world, being imaginary as it is, is virtually limitless. The one, it, it lends itself to railroading. The one thing that I will find is useful for modules, though, is a lot of times they're good, like, teacher lessons. They're good for teaching your GM how to be a GM and go, oh, this is set up in this order in this fashion, so this is a good way for me to kind of just go, this is the format, but I'm not using these ideas. I'm going to take this format and slide it over here and slowly start packing my own shit in there. And it's a good way for your players to go, sir, so the default doesn't go in my nerves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> modules are very good for teaching. Yeah, I'm not yeah. good for long campaigns. I, I have long been a fan of. Oh, this is your first game here. Here's a pre-gen character. Here's a module. Yeah. We'll run through this as an example. There's nothing wrong with that. Modules are really good at framing. Yeah, and modules are really good at dirty cheated. There's three combats that are already balanced for whatever level the module's set for. Well, I mean, and and there's and it's also a really good way to tip, uh, dip your toes into any system. You know, if you're an all-out D and D person, you're like, "What's this Savage Worlds thing?" No. Oh. There's a, also a 
they're really good places that you can mine for uh, that you can mine for inspiration. Oh, yeah. I was listening to uh, a other podcast, and I can't even remember which of the three it was, yeah. but doing a Shadowrun actual place, and they ran through the old first and second edition uh, modules, and they ran Chip Drain, this uh, module where three prototype uh, better-than-life chips were out on the market. A person would slot it into their, in, and all of a sudden they thought they were a historical figure. Yeah. Huh. And that was entertaining because one of them all of a sudden thought he was Genghis Khan and he got all the biker gangs together and unified the clans and we will ride and invade. Great. Wonderful, fun little stupid thing. That helped inspire the the Shadowrun arc that I was setting up with the huh, there are people doing stuff with AI. Just inspiration. I'm not going to connect any more dots just in case we do get back to running the game. Because <laughs> uh, he's getting the squinty eyes from me of, what's he You plotting? dirty rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, GMs live for that moment of, did you really? Yes, I did. Yes. And it's not always a, did you really? Sometimes it's, did you really? Mm, true. Not my experience most of the time. <laughs> I've had a lot of angry GMs, though. I'm not the best player to make them happy. Mm, yes, I've only played a game with you, like, twice, but as far as I can tell, you're not a terrible player. No. You think for the group, you think for group over self, although you do think for self, and... You try and keep the plot moving forward. That's about all I ask for out of a player right there. Yeah. Yeah. I cheat my roles, but, you know. There's some times when you're in a room, you're like, if this goes poorly, people are going to die, and these players are new. I've played this forever. Look at all the successes I swipe. <laughs> I've done that a couple of times to keep the story going. Yeah, but part of that As is As a GM, just, I've done uh, it too. That's yeah. why I have a screen. Yep. It's exactly it. It's like, you don't have to be completely honest as a GM. Try to be honest. But if you're like, oh, this is going to just murder them. Well, and like like in a previous podcast we were talking about is how to do fails that aren't detrimental, that are different kinds of fails. Yeah. At the same time, if you're a new GM, you're not going to know how to do that really well. No. It's okay every now and then. If you're like, this roll, like, you, you roll a, a dragon, gets a surprise attack on the group and breathes a breath weapon, you're like, they're all going to jump out of the way, and they all fail that, and then you roll and crit damage, you're like, this will murder them all in one swath. Well, he, he, he Let didn't. me just shave a couple of these numbers off and ignore them. Yeah. That is the biggest secret to the GM, mm-hmm. is that you are there to arbitrate the rules. For the betterment of the group. Yeah. This doesn't mean, That's... oh, I don't want Matt's character to die. He automatically saves his will save. No. It yeah. doesn't mean, oh, I want Matt's character to die. I'm going to shave 10 points off his will save. Yeah. It means, 
is this a dramatically appropriate time for us to kill off Matt's character? You know. No, he's just drinking at the bar. Cad would kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how many times he's done this and how long. God damn it. Yes. But just this is the sixth time today. Yes, he just shoves the NPC princess out of the way of the lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. This might be an appropriate time for him <laughs> to die. Yeah, we really can't just have him die in a dare when someone said, you got an entire bounty for killing the dragon. That's so many gold pieces. I bet you I can drink it all. I bet you can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also have to remember that part of you not immediately caring killing them, even though, you know, they failed their their dodge, you got a crit, and look at all these big dice that you rolled, is that it's not you versus them. This isn't a versus game. This is a cooperative game. Even the GM is playing with the party. Yeah. The goal isn't, the goal isn't, I win the game. I get the stuff, I got the levels. The goal of the game is, that was a good story. Yeah, the GM doesn't get a gold star if he kills the party. No. Sometimes he gets to grab a cookie and take a lap around the table, let's be honest. You sometimes get a gold star if you can make somebody cry. <laughs> well, if that's you because you can make you're somebody laugh. If you can make somebody feel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you can, like, any sort of the feels, like... You have done your good job. If you set up this thing that your characters and players in your game find, and then you just start to see this flame of hatred in their eyes, not necessarily for you. We're trying to have them not necessarily hate you, but hate for whatever... I Magical Hogwarts has invaded the podcast. I'm sorry, I just got a letter from a weird-looking bird. I gotta go. <laughs> I left my volume on. <laughs> I apologize. It, it was a normal bird, but it seems to have dented its face on the window a couple times. So I don't know if this letter's for me, but screw it, I'm going. Get me into this program. Oh, what the hell what is, is that this? older man what doing in a kindergarten <laughs> full of people with lawns? Listen, man, I got a bird. I don't know what y'all's problem is, but... Mm. What the hell is this Walgharts place? <laughs> Walgharts. I'm Snufflebottom. That's my house. Like there is a house, Snufflebottom. That's why I live in the shed. Oh, God, <laughs> I've lost the train of thought. So. The train derailed. All the little thoughts screamed and fell out the window. Ah, I get it. How we were commenting that it's not an us versus them. It's yeah. uh, it's a collective story. You're trying to get a story That's told. That's it. feels. If you could get the feels going. Oh, there's nothing like uh Yeah, you just get like that incite of rage because now guess what you've just done? You've lit a fire under their ass. You've made them want to figure out who done it. Well, and just in- your party kills their first orc bad guy. They roll the corpse over and they rifle through his pockets looking for loose change, and they find a half-written letter to his orc bride. Don't worry, hun. Two more days working in the dungeon, and I have enough money to buy little Johnny his medicine. Brian, <laughs> Brian, can I ask a question? Why do all your NPCs have pockets of letters to loved ones in them? Are you landmining your games with with guilt and regret? Are you trying to PTSD your players? <laughs> trying. Eventually, trying. they're just like, can we kill these ghosts? Is- does this one a dad? 
just wanders up to the guard. Listen, I don't know if you have family or anything, but, you know, we'd like, we really feel bad about this. We'd like to know. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) Trying. You're all ethical monsters. Bask in the hatred of this universe. No, no, there is there is no such thing as an ethical player if you're playing Shadowrun. You just go up behind it and go, That's a pretty jerkular you have there. You'd look real nice in red. You're telling me this is made for murder hobos. How do you survive in this world? Timmy, here's your shank. You're going to kindergarten. <laughs> this is your first day. Remember, find the biggest son of a bitch you can find. Shank him and you'll be fine. Okay, Timmy? We made sure not to grow you too big so they wouldn't all come for you. Little, little Susie, did you remember to get your uh, My Little Pony bulletproof vest? What about your Hello Kitty <laughs> 9mm? <laughs> it's got the cute little silencer that we got you for your birthday. The one that's painted white with the little bitty eyes and a smile. It makes the poof noise when you defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you can elicit emotion from your players... That is generally one of the best feelings ever. And it's not all the cries and the angers. And the, if you're playing the right game and it's not, you know, a moment of high tension, they walk into the shop and they see a, a man arguing with the shopkeep. Why, what are they arguing about? Roll me a perception check. Mm-hmm. Rattle, rattle, rattle. He seems to be holding a dead blue parrot. <laughs> yes. One of them saying it's just sleeping. <laughs> I don't know why they're having this fight, but one of them apparently wants his gold pieces back very much. It seems like he's trying to sell them something else, though. It looks kind of broken, but he's saying you just have to lean it up against something. Oh, no, wait. They settle on a singing snow. Eliciting those emotions from people, very much like trying to elicit feelings from this unfeeling podcast audience who's yet to write a review. <laughs> They're slowly somebody, looking for audio views to find where to kill us. This is right. We got stars. We have stars. Yeah. You, you got uh, our stars. Like it says in Mario Party, if you get a singular star, it gives you the plural. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if you can keep these emotions, these moments of happiness, these moments of comedy, these moments of... Uh, Ennui, that's the, that's the yeah. stuff right well, there. That's heroin to a GM's. Well, and the thing about it is, is that you one of the biggest goals as a GM you want isn't to win, isn't to do this, it's to have a memorable game. And if anything has taught us the science is that we sort through memories every single day. We trash most of our days going to the dustbin when we go to sleep. But the best way to preserve memories is to have hard, strong, emotional connections to them. You remember the times you're mad or happy or sad. Because that's what actually retains memories is those chemical markers. And if you put chemical markers like that in your game, you're going to have a memorable game, even if they were mad about something. This is how he made it through uh, all his high school and college classes. Is every time he'd study for a test, he'd turn around and watch the saddest uh, <laughs> cancer victim dying of something and his fiance running over by a truck this movie. <laughs> Cancer victim? Show me a picture of a sad kitty that somebody found and nursed back to health and you've got to be bawling for the next five minutes. You got me My- bawling until you realize that I had to adopt one of those kittens and it turns out they love to poo when they're sick. 
<laughs> Candace could go back and get a doctorate right now because Netflix has Kitten Rescue 911 or whatever. Oh my gosh. You could get all the feels to tie to these Candace, emotions. Candace, have you found that show? No, but I would be dehydrated all day and Patrick would just be, what's wrong? Is the studying that big? No, he's, he's a kitten and it lost its eye and it's so sad. But now that's a whole Netflix has that. <laughs> Netflix has that sign that comes up that says, are you still watching? And it's just Candace dehydrated like a mummy in front of it. Can't reach the button to push yes. That's the only thing that saves her. <laughs> It's like, why did you take those nursing classes to learn how to put myself on a sailing drip because I keep crying so much at these Netflix shows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You get to the last episode, the next thing it just puts on is like making a murderer. And <laughs> it just all goes, nope. Mm-mm. Handmaiden's tale. Oh, I can't deal with this. We're going to play Neon Genesis Evangelion, and at the end, we're all going to masturbate and then murder ourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, I had to masturbate sometime today. <laughs> I'm not sure how this appropriately ends the story, but okay, it's, it seems like you're overthinking this, and like you've already got too much prepped. <laughs> Have you watched Neon Genesis Evangelion? No, actually, that's something I, that I, I have somehow I, missed in all the nerd dumb things I've It's a reasonable response to the end. I'll be honest. Not many times that's a reasonable response, but that, that, that's kind of a reasonable response to that one. Well, oh, the self-suicide thing is just kind of everybody's response to it, and the masturbation thing is for anybody that identifies with Shinji because he had to whack one out himself. Yeah, that's true. It's a very confused show by a very confused writer. Anyway, I still need to see it right now. I, I have on. I have the old DVDs. It's a better dub, in my opinion. Hmm, okay, cool. Uh, the next little bulletin point on our on our little trip sheet of notes that's helping keep us from rambling all over the place. So, if you, you thought we just met, way to transition better. there, Wizard of Oz. So, <laughs> if you liked last week's better episode, this this is this is the secret here. We're trying that actual format. We found paper <laughs> and did what humans do. But, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we were supposed we to strange shapes and figures on it. We're even, I prefer to call them arcane runes. And we're still trashing the format while he's trying so hard to transition. It's beautiful. <laughs> he's trying his hardest, folks. You, you, it's like a puppy. <laughs> it's whining. We keep talking. It's okay. It's okay. Go ahead, Brian. We were supposed to transition from modules into overprepping. Uh-huh. <laughs> because if there's one thing that a module can screw up, it's reading everything word for word. You walk into the gray tavern of dank, dark craziness, and you see the sign over it is the easing the badger. Uh, easing the badger into what? <laughs> Anal plane? What is this? I'm not fond of you. It's an in from a book. I just always remember that it sounded dirty. Easing the badger. It does sound dirty. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and you see a man green leather tunic and... I'm still seeing the game. <laughs> Chainmail bikini Matt over there. Yeah. That'd be me in the gay bar. Hey, you want me to help ease your badger? 
and then you have you're trying to read the things on stage you have a man performing in space pants (laughs) but if you try to read these things directly you're going to do one of three things Mm -hmm. you're either going to turn into Ben Stein oh yeah Mm -hmm. suck the life out of the world you're going to get caught up with a joke that somebody else makes at the table like these two are giving a great example of just now and kill kill the momentum. You're welcome. Or you just kind of, kind of keep going and going, and they're going to have latched onto something already. Oh yeah, they'll find something earlier. Yeah. Well, and another thing that it lends itself so, to is that if you if someone doesn't do something interactive with that, it leaves you where you don't know what to do, or you get mad because you read ahead and you're like, "This was a wonderful thing that they have planned out." Yeah. You're just setting yourself up for being mad. And that's what a module does, is is classic over-prepping. It's got you in this mindset. It's putting blinders on the horse. Yeah. Like, they are good for teaching. Like, we've established this. But they're good for teaching if your players are okay with, okay, we're not going to chase the the unicorn that you thought you saw out of the corner of your eye after your player took a sniff of whatever the hell that mage was selling in the corner out of his... uh, Overcoat. You're you're Pac-Man. You're going to sit in the dark corner. You're going to eat the pills in order until you get to the end of the maze. You've got a couple choices of left or right, but you don't have much more than that. Yeah, and if you have a bunch of creative people that are playing in the game, you're... Because the thing about it is with modules, if you're a new GM, they're good, but also if they're new players, they're good. Because new players tend not to be as creative, as wandery, offy, they're like, we're going to go on a classic adventure. Yeah. If you have older players that have been in it, and you have your blinders on, and you over-prep, they know they can wander off, and they know they can just screw the world. I mean, you have no guarantees one of those sons of bitches isn't going to just set the goddamn bar on fire for no damn reason. I, I will say that, having played with someone who brand new to role-playing, barely, like, got the concept of it, that as the... I'm not even an advanced or old player. I'm gonna call myself mediocre. I got medium. Just trying to help them with, you know, we're in the middle of town, and we're gonna try and go somewhere, and they're just basically sitting there on a bench like Forrest Gump, I have box chocolates. My mom is saying, and, and you're like, "Where's the guy with the gold question mark over his head?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they you're like, cues. "So, what's your name?" Strike up a conversation. Say, "What's that thing in the different distance that's large and glowy and looks ominous?" We should head towards it, and they're just like, "Those look like comfy shoes." Well, yes, I mean, they are, and they're really good at walking towards glowy things. Well, and the other thing, though, <laughs> is that if you make a well-laid-out adventure with easy-to-see plot twists and points, for new players, it's great, because the experience they're coming from is they want to go on an adventure, they're all riled up for an adventure, you point them in the direction and say, ooh, look, adventure, and they're going to go at it and punch it. You know, And that's an easy way to cheat with new players, and that's why that's good, but you get it with older players... Half of them are going to believe the adventure is somewhere else. Half of them are going to believe the adventure is fucking with their own party. And those two halves don't mix. Or or they're going to loot peasants. I don't know why. I don't know how come. We'll find a guy. If you play this game long enough, 
is going to pickpocket the poorest people in the goddamn town because he's sure one of them has something. Because one of them may have that 2,000 gold, (laughs) you know, ultra-rare item that I'm looking for, even though he's sitting there asking if you could just buy him the, you know, two-pence bowl of porridge at the inn that he's sitting next to. Yeah. That guy has your magic item. Mm-hmm. Good job. Um, it is definitely worth remembering that whenever you're running, there's not going to be one way to get from point A to point B. There's also doesn't have you don't have to let them go from A to D to F to G to B. You can put up blocks and walls, and modules are very good at kind of teaching you how to follow a structure. Mm-hmm. The tricky part but it is learning when you're thinking too much, when you've done too much prep, when you've done too much work. If you show up at the table with a 400-page manuscript, you're done. Hey, this is the backstory of the world. You need to memorize it all, or you won't know how to... Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Done lost just me. lost half your table. You just done lost me. If I want to read a book, I'm going to go up to the bookstore or the library and buy something that I'm going, I like this author, because I'm sorry, as a new GM, you may be able to tell a good story. You're probably going to tell more of a mediocre story. I don't want to read your fan fiction. Yeah, and... That's the other thing, is that you can overprep. One of the things that also you can realize is that you can pace your story in such a way that I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know how the middle is going to be. I'm going to plan it as I go. And it usually works better more fluid. Like, one of the examples that I always loved was uh, we had a GM, and the country was at war that you're in. And so certain roads you couldn't go through simply because, you know, there was people on the road that were part of a military that were blocking off supplies and things to this part of the area. And it wouldn't be later into the story that, you know, the siege on this city or this part of the country finds relief or the tides of the world turn and they can't go there yet. So, I mean, you block it off and two, the story, he doesn't know what's going to go on in there. He doesn't know what you're going to do in there. Part of the story, he knows maybe part of the end result, but he can go week to week planning it at least the details, like have the structure out, plan the details of what the party might be doing based upon what they've already done. You can tailor it easier that way. I'm going to skip ahead in our notes a little bit because what you just gave me was an excellent transition point into one of my favorite articles I ever read on the topic of GMing. It was from an old copy of Dungeon Magazine back in early 2000s. A good layer of dust. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I still have the copy of it out in the garage somewhere. It's a uh, big old world-building issue, and it's a big, giant-looking uh, chick with a hammer like she's like a blacksmith, and what's on the anvil is this world, and it's world-building. And then down in the corner, run Emmy-winning games. And that's the article that I want to talk about, is Emmy-winning games. And it was the, the yeah. idea of structuring your campaign as you would a TV show. Yeah. 
especially these days when we're dealing with, you know, compressed 10 episode seasons of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you've got an episode of introduction, maybe two episodes of introducing a large cast, couple episodes of Monster of the Week with maybe a hint of what's going on in the background. Four episodes of what's going on with the big bad. And then, depending on if you're continuing or if you just got canceled, <laughs> a, den- a denouement, a little epilogue, a little how things are going, or the cliffhanger. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for me, this mentally clicked so well. Oh, give the characters an episode or so to breathe. This is mm-hmm. a session or two of. You know, catching them up, getting them figured out. Couple episodes to figure out what they're doing. Give them a plot. Oh, you know, pacing wise, I can't be on them all the time, or I ju- yeah. then you just turn to season six and on of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, is that one of the good keys to an art in any story is you introduce the characters because you want. The people to have an emotional contact with the characters, so you focus on them, and then you don't want them to you you introduce stuff in the background subtly that is going to become important because you have what is uh uh oh what is the name something's something's pistol uh check no check off's rifle check off's gun yeah check off's gun you can introduce things that are interesting and then just leave them on the floor and they'll pay off later in the season. Nope. And you build it in such a way that it builds suspense, builds it's not you can't just I always hate it because there is there is a way that a lot of people structure a game that has an opener that I would put money on right now. That if I told the general structure of this opening, everyone at the table would be like, I've been in one of those games. And here it is. You're in a town. You're at an inn or you're at a whatever, and there's a celebration. And then a giant bad guy appears, and he just wrecks the town. And then, oh no, he's stolen a thing that we've never used that was given to us that, or, you know, the city. And then we go off, and we just hunt that bad guy. Telling him who the big bad guy is straight out of the gate? That's actually boring. It is actually boring, and it's done to that. You have to approach something that classic with some skill. Yeah, and if you're a new new GM... I hate to say it, most new gyms don't know this. No, man, you ain't got the skill yet. I mean, if if I want to make a game where I'm going to put the big bad guy out right there, episode one, and everybody hates him, well, then I'm going to first, episode zero, we sit down to make characters, and oh, Matt's got a character whose wife died in childbirth, and Candace has got a character whose brother was kidnapped by an evil priest and uh, Balthazar over there has uh, another character who's uh, got no wife got no kids, got no parents I am Loner McBatman Mm -hmm. okay well huh Matt finds out that his wife might still be alive sold his child off into dumped him off in the streets of Kalimpur thinking he's Batman and Candace's priest kidnapped the Batman youth and trained him to be a 
rogue monk Balthazar really? Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and you start weaving all this shit together. And then in episode one, oh, the bad guy, the big bad that you introduced is the linchpin to all of this. Mm. And in so, episode yeah. three, you finally catch up to the big bad guy. He's dead on his desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, I would do something. Like, if I had to introduce a big bad in the beginning, I would uh, go and there would be a plot twist in there where the big bad that you thought was stealing all the orphans and, you know, grinding their bones for his bread. Well, actually what he was doing is he noticed that your town was overburdened with the children, was actually taking them and taking you know, he had his own little whatever going on and giving children better homes and he was just trying to keep up a stereotype because the other ogres were making fun of me. That sort of witch and you're just like Oh you can oh, do that. Another yeah. <laughs> Another big bad, another way that I like I like seeing it done is uh and I, I loathe to, and I know I'm gonna lose nerd cred for saying this, I loathe to compare it, but like uh Game of Thrones is Winter is coming. It's nebulous enough that what is it? Like, if you get into a D&D game and you're like, on the horizon, this kingdom is starting to make a move. Why are these things happening? Monsters are coming out of this kingdom and roaming the streets. You get the idea there's a big bad. You can kind of assume what he's doing, but you don't know him. But what you're doing when you're starting out is dealing with the aftermath of the things that he's doing and not caring about you. He doesn't know you exist. Yeah. In a world. Where man is ruled by horrible monsters. Candace is drinking her water. Things are going bad. Things are going sour. Dark curses are challenging everyone. <laughs> and everyone must know, will you rise to meet these challenges? Will Candace need another bottle of water? Probably. Probably. <laughs> but no, but I mean, that's the thing, is that keeping it, keeping it to where you know there's something on the horizon, you know there's something bad... But not revealing it, not giving it a face, but giving it uh, a means of working within the world, like leaving its mark, instead of just being like, I am the demon Omnet and I am here to kill you. The only issue with this is when you do finally get to that ending, when you get to that reveal, when you get to that kicking the gate wide open, Flesh that shit out, make it right, because mm -hmm. if it's just a mustache twirling giant purple cloud, all you got is Fantastic Four too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that does put a, a lot of onus, because what you're doing in the entire game before you see this guy is selling this guy as something that should be feared. If your guy, if your people, like, never do it in the end. Never have that reveal in the end who it is, because at that point, your character should always be, already be high enough level to deal with it, but if you do it in the middle and they're not high enough level to deal with it, then he still seems ominous. He still seems scary. Oh, yeah. But if you do it at the end where you're like, and you see him, and he's the high priest, and okay, you rolled a crit. So, I yeah. am no mere hedge mage. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of something that goes into this as well, because it's part of just playing that world. It's part of your end phase world or middle phase, depending if you still have levels to gain. I don't know how you want to build your world. You could have three bosses. I'm not going to judge. But... No one should judge when it's three, so... 
Ah, why you ruined my train of thought. Because I love seeing the ideas burn and scream. <laughs> you know I'm already, like, dead tired. So, so, they're, they're, so they're, they don't just, see it coming. they're teetering on the edge of, I'm going to get said, I'm going to get said, well, don't keep over the edge. Said you, you own a cat. You know what no. happens when you teeter things on the edge. This is not my fault. You put up there. Someone's going to force them over the side. Oh, that was... That's my point. Oh, is that yep. <laughs> I found it. If he found continues it. pushing her buttons, I will not be responsible for Matt getting stabbed on air. I will hide that Patreon shit behind a payroll. Exactly. It's <laughs> called incentive. Exactly. I'll Everyone wants to hear Matt gurgle. It won't be the first time I've been stabbed. Yes, it will. <laughs> no, but what they want to do is when fighting the big bad is... You don't want him to be a pushover. You don't also don't want it to be like, well, we all died. But you want that it was hard, you're neck and neck. Oh, he gains a little bit, you gain a little bit back. You want that push and pull, and you want that intense buildup. So that way, would they do win? Tension. Ten- yeah, that's, that's where number shaving is the good. Word. That's why we have number shaving. Yeah, but yeah, you want that build up because that way, when you do beat the big bad, or if the big bad does just barely get away, you don't feel screwed over by the game. Mm, you aren't true. going home going, oh, I need the preparation age. Uh, last little bit of advice, and we will probably go on on this every time we talk about tabletop RPGs from here to the end of time. No, we've been talking a lot about tabletop RPGs. That's the that's, theme of this month. That's because oh, yeah. it's February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> hey, you had your entire now January who's... month of your fighting games. I don't want to hear it. There are more to come. Anyways, now continue. whose uh, thoughts are hanging on the edge of the cliff? <laughs> I'll push my own thoughts. I don't care. I don't have any. I don't have any connection to my own my own autonomy. I don't care. He lives on the edge of a volcano. They're all just sacrifices. <laughs> oh, you poor virgin thing! <laughs> it looks like the gods are angry. Timmy, catch! There Throws are... the ball into the middle of the volcano. I keep him dumb just for this. There <laughs> are two ways that a GM can answer any question. Go sit in the corner. No way. Guess what? Yes. And no. If you add on to these answers just a little bit, you will unlock one of the biggest secrets to GMing. Yes and, no but. Yeah. Can I have an extra three levels on to everybody, be higher level than everybody else in the party and be a super badass mage just so I can have this thing and unlock this ultra build? No, but I can help you work towards this super goal. Ah, uh, can can the NPC bad guy be my uncle? Yes, and you want to kill him because he tried to kill you and successfully killed your mother. Well, that's what she gets for initiating or whatever. But yeah, but no, I mean, that's the thing about it is, is that if all you do is facilitate or deny it doesn't grow because even bad ideas can have a kernel of good idea to it. Like, I want to yeah. be this stupid mage that has all these levels and all this. Okay, I'm glad that you want to be a mage and I'm glad that's your end result. However, 
why don't we work on it through this? Because you don't want to just look at them and go, no. And then they go, well, fine, I'm going to be a barbarian. Because that's what everyone needs. It's I'm like three barbarians. Own, I'm going to go make my own D&D with blackjack and hookers. Oh, God, now I want a barbarian healer. I want a barbarian healer whose healing implement or their, their holy symbol that they have to touch to someone is a club. And so you gain like 10 HP, but they take like five every time they use it because they just backhand you with their club and yell heal. I want that. <laughs> the only reason they still get to be healers is because the healing is more than the damage they do with the club. And also the character has to play to where they forget when they're healing. So every now and then they'll run in at the enemy and everyone has to be like, no, and they'll start hitting them with the stick. Hey, I still say that, you know, they, guys, Brian, we need you. We need you to play a healer. We need you to play a cleric. Okay, I'll play a cleric. Why, why did you roll up? A vengeance cleric of the death god. <laughs> Joke's on you. I haven't healed in years. <laughs> I'm very good at healing. Mm-hmm. Not you, but... I'm very, very good at healing. What's that? You're at negative eight? Two more rounds. I get, I'll get you back on your feet in two more rounds. <laughs> I'll be dead in two more rounds. I'll bleed out. Death is only the beginning, my child. You'll be back on your feet. <laughs> so the party enters into a bar. Only one of you cares. The rest of you just moan at the patrons. I think they're going to scream. I think they're going to scream and try to kill you. Ah, more to the party it is, then. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, guys, it's hard to be a necromancer these days. He's just trying to raise a family. He is. Well, we've hit about an hour mark. Let's go ahead and give final words of advice to newbie GMs. Okay. Do you have a final word do, of advice? I do, I do, and... I'm going to try not to be wordy with it, but oh well, I'm going to fail anyway. You are a wordy bitch. It'll be alright. That's true. Have fun. Remember the goal is fun. If you don't understand all the rules completely, okay. If you don't know the exact... Like, don't get caught up with, well, I failed. I, I, I fell three stories and I'm wearing plate mail. Let me look in the book. No. Have fun with it. The flow of the story is going to be far more starting out, more important than you getting every jaunt and tittle right in the book. I mean, there are rules, but you're writing a story that's half you, half the players. Have fun with it. My advice would be if you're in the middle of the story and you have that odd where every around the table just starts bantering, and you notice that, oh my god, that's a brilliant idea. Way better than the idea I had. And they go off, and all of a sudden, your story has changed. They don't know that. Instead, at the end of the session, all your players are like, oh my god, we got it on the nose, we predicted it, we're so awesome, and you're sitting at the at, in the back of the room with hastily scribbled notes of what they were talking about, like, yes. Well, yes, you predicted it. It's, Good job. It's sort of like an acting. One of the things I always say is the audience doesn't know the script. Oh, you missed the line. Keep going. Mm -hmm. They're not going to know you missed it. They only know you missed it if you 
go crazy and say it. If you stumble up and go, oh no, what did I do? Yeah, keep going. They don't, they don't know the script. It's, it's the same like, game. It's like Lady Gaga was having her show. I was watching YouTube and this was mentioned. I'm like, this is pertinent right now. Lady Gaga was having a concert. She's singing and all of a sudden she just falls off a piano, goes behind the chair. You, you just hear thumping, but she keeps singing and gets up and starts walking around the stage and doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she just fell off a piano. It's going to be a memorable performance either way. Yep. Well, now that Candace has revealed my biggest secret of how I GM... Falling off pianos? Yeah, I was, I was going to go with that one too. Or Lady stealing, Gaga. Yeah. Stealing players' ideas. <laughs> uh, I, I'm stealing gonna, players. I'm going to point out... I don't know. Do you know how, many, how often I'm here and how I've cooked for them? I yeah. think I'm starting to get stolen. It's called indentured servitude now. I, I, I want to steal you from all the other groups. You, you officially can belong to my group. Keep cooking. Keep cooking. Uh, you don't make rolls anymore. We judge your actions upon the food you give us. As, as a GM, you should have a rough idea of how to play the game. Mm-hmm. If a rule comes up and you don't know it, no. you don't have to look it up. Unless you have a rules player at the table. There's you don't no have to look it up. To- even with them at the table. That's coming from a rules lawyer. Okay, this is what we're going to do. This time, roll this check, and I'm going to put a pin in this and look it up after the game if we have to do this repeatedly. And we'll know how to do it next time. But to keep the story flow, make a simple check, appropriate condition we'll modifiers, and later. roll on. We'll fix it in post. Oh my goodness. Except I don't know how to fix it in post. When we played VTM, I, I'm pretty sure you know this. Okay. VTM, you have two different skills that are combined to make a check, right? Mm-hmm. Did you have an attribute. Yeah. Did you, did you notice it basically became some a game sometimes of called Pick 2? <laughs> because... Well, what do we roll for this? I don't know. Love these two. Go for it. I, I'm just sure we could find what it would take to do that and all the rules for it, but you know what? I ain't got time for that. I ain't going to kill the flow of the game. Pick two and go with it. And, did and did you notice how many times that it turned into, Austin, what do I roll to do this? I don't know. Ask Brian. Brian, what does he roll to do this? Yeah. <laughs> That's how you use use a, a rule lawyer at the table. If you got a rule lawyer, and they're not a terrible rule lawyer, and there are bad rule lawyers who want to argue everything, yeah. yes. the best yes, thing to are. do with any of your rule lawyers leverage them into a tool. Honestly, the I worst, forgot how to do this. Tell me. <laughs> honestly, the worst kind of rule lawyer is the one that doesn't say jack shit until they think that they might have been at a slight disadvantage because oh. something you did to them. Loophole hunters? Yeah. Mm. Fuck that. I'm a I'm a rules lawyer min-maxing asshole and I say fuck those players. <laughs> so yeah, for the players listening to this episode, don't be that guy. There's a lot of that guys. We could probably do a whole episode on don't be that guy. Yeah. We could probably do a whole podcast on Don't Be That Guy. Coming next week on Stay A While and Listen, Don't Be That Guy, the series. <laughs> Welcome to Don't Be That Guy. Are you that guy? Don't. <laughs> Larry, I'm looking at you. <sighs> I probably just gave every guy named Larry who listened to this a complex. 
fuck. They're named Larry. Damn it. That's a common thing for them, I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, next week we plan on looking into the logistics of your first game session. Yeah. How to find a game, whether or not that friendly gaming store is worth gaming in. Nah. Red flags for people that shouldn't or should be in your party. Red yeah. flags for people you might not want to invite to your house for a home game. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure we're going to have a lot of fun stories to go into that episode. Oh, yeah. And this even time, just, there was a even just the simple shit of, hey, you're going to probably be doing this for more than an hour. You should think about food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the simple logistics, a little bit background, and that sort of stuff, that'll be next time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and thank uh, Kevin McLeod at Comptech.com for providing yeah. our music. Yeah. Uh, Dark Sealand outro, Faster Does It intro, and give everybody a chance to say goodnight, everybody, or whatever noise they want to make. Actually, I was going to say, before we say goodnight, Mm -hmm. remember, you can rate us with stars. You can go and say anything on Facebook. We have... Well, not anything on Facebook. Well, right now, we don't really have anything there. We're not looking for food pigs, so don't send those. Yeah, Community standards apply. <laughs> Except on our website, stayandlisten.com. I have no filters on those comments. But yeah, you know, come on. Tell us what you're liking. Tell us what you're not liking. Give us a star rating. Give us a hint. Listen, come and interact with us. I don't mean to be a needy bitch, but... Um, you're going to be a needy bitch. Hey. Could hey. You see that star rating there? Yeah. Could, could you... Could you just maybe click, click something there? Click it? Oh, I'd really love to hear from you. And just click? Just a little mess. Click. Emails would definitely be nice, because I can take emails and make improvements based off of them. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, y'all have a good game. Ended. Good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you.